1: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Monday edition of The Yard, it's a kickoff of SEC Media Days. You guys know my feelings about the dog and pony show. Not a big fan. I will be in Nashville. Matter of fact, once we finish up the show today, I'll pack a bag and I'll head to Nashville for a couple days. And I got to meet with 247 Sports folks that they use. This as an opportunity to meet with all the SEC publishers, whether we go to Media Days or not. So I'm going to go to Nashville. Uh, Meet up with the wife, have a couple cool days, and uh, we'll get some work done. And, you know, be a good experience. I love Nashville, man. Nashville's a great southern city. Perhaps my favorite southern city, not named Starkville. But as far as like a destination goes, a place to kind of go and hang out and have a good time, it's tough to beat Nashville. It really is. And Stripers playing tonight at Basement East. I don't know if we're going to make the show or not, but I, I did consider that. So maybe on the ride up there, I'll decide. I've never seen Striper in person. Maybe you have. But I can't say that I woke up and was like, hey, i got to go see the show. Uh, But uh, nevertheless, we're going to do a mailbag show today. I hadn't done one of these in a couple years. But um, I spent the weekend for about, uh, I don't know, 60 of 72 hours working on edits for the book. To get that finished, you know, the, the original game plan was to get it all finished up by the 31st of July. We're going to be way ahead of schedule. I'm, I want to get this out as quickly as we can. So it'll be uh, September. If you haven't pre ordered, go to whenthebottomfalls.com. That's whenthebottomfalls.com. You can pre order. Uh, you can find those links on my social media accounts. But uh, if you can't remember that, just go to Dogpile the Book. All those URLs go to the same luxurious space. Also, some news too found out that we have uh, been able to uh, acquire six cases of Stark Goins. Yeah, so not a lot, but they found six cases. And uh, of course, you know, kind of cleaning out the warehouse and getting ready for the new book to arrive, they found out that they had some books in there that uh, were kind of tucked away. So you can get all of my sports books at the same website where you order. Uh, when the bottom falls but again any any of those urls will take to the same place so be sure and check that out appreciate your support of the new book the wife wrote the forward pretty special for me and uh, got some other people that were special in my life that uh, i used some of their messages to me in the book so they are both deceased now but they're going to have an opportunity to be quoted in the book that's kind of a cool thing to be able to do that but uh After working through the book for a few days, man, I'm really proud, I'm not gonna lie. I, um, you know, thought about writing this book about, uh, goodness, eight years ago. I think that's right, eight years ago. And uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind on the writing side for me ever since. I was writing this book, it was initially called I Will Not Go Quietly when I got the contract for Flim Flam. And then of course, everything has changed since then. So we kind of work our way back around to that. A lot of people wanted me to write the Leach biography this year. It hadn't even been a year. And uh, I've reached out to some people close to Mike, people like, I'm just not ready for this. So perhaps we do that next year. That's the hope anyway. But I'm not going to do anything without the permission of the family. So we'll work on that. And uh, eventually we'll do another book about uh, kind of like in the same vein as Alpha Dogs and Stark Villains. We already have work and title for that, and that's State Greats. I've actually already got a couple of interviews done for that because there's a few people, some older Bulldogs, I wanted to get them interviewed just in case they passed away before I wrote the book, and that could happen to any of us. But uh, we have some aging dogs and and uh, people whose stories that were important to me, and I think important to you. So we're going to work that book up uh, in the next couple of years too, and and then we'll kind of see. Eventually, I'll do that book of Bulldog baseball history. That's one of the things that I've you know really wanted to do, and uh, we'll just call that Diamond Dogs, right? and the definitive history of Mississippi State Baseball. And I don't know how many interviews we do. We'll do a handful. But, um, you know, I think that's something, one of those, you know, coffee table type books, it's something that's timeless. And uh, I'm really excited about eventually working on that. So that's kind of the five-year plan, you know. And uh, a lot of people have asked me, well, Steve, how many books do you plan to write? Well, you know, I don't know. My answer to that is always, well, how many did Willie Morris write? That's a good goal. But uh, book number six will be available to you here in about uh, two months. And then we'll see. I think double digits is certainly in in, uh, in within reach now. You know, it's like when I wrote the first book, I was like, well, I want to write another one, but I don't know what I'm going to write about. They wanted me to write the sequel to Flim Flam. My heart just wasn't in it. So I pitched them on Stark Villains, and that was a hit. And then, like, what are we going to do now? They said, well, there were a few other guys we didn't get to in Stark Villains. Why don't you write a sequel to that? So then Alpha Dogs kind of came to be. And then I was supposed to take a year off, and a friend of mine convinced me to release Blooms of Oleander just, yeah you know, just for fun, just to kind of stay relevant. And then we won an Apple championship and wrote Dog Pile. So I haven't written anything in two years until this year. Last year was officially a year off. But, um, yeah, you know, I've got the bug, man. I enjoy writing these things, and uh, I really enjoy being able to document Mississippi State history. There have not been a lot of books written about Mississippi State sports over the years. Um, And I haven't done the math on this, but uh, I would venture to say that I've read most of them. And so there are a few of them out there. There were some one-offs, like people wrote a book about Mississippi State, but uh, nobody's written as much about State as I have. And so uh, I think that's part of my charge in life. And so I want to make sure that we do that. And uh, I will die with books unwritten. I mean, that's just kind of how my mind works. I'm I'm always thinking about the next thing, kind of when I get a tattoo. As soon as I get out of the chair... I'm already booking my next appointment, thinking about what I want to get. As soon as I finish a book, because you get in that creative vein, I start thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? And so I'm not going to make you wait two years. Uh, we'll do another one next year. And so if you're thinking about your holiday shopping plans, you'll have a new book this year and a new book next year. That's that's the plan. And uh, I've enjoyed, I enjoyed the year off. And uh, of course, you know, uh, Dana was gone much of that year, out in New Mexico. It's uh, well documented on the show. Uh, probably should have used some of that time to write a book instead of laying around feeling sorry for myself. But um, all that said, uh, I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm happy. I am. And uh, the wife wrote the foreword. I've read that. That was emotional for me to read. You know. Uh, you know. It's one of those things that it's kind of a gift. You know. It's like when I first started talking about doing this book. I said I want you to write the forward and she was like, "Really?" And I was like, "Absolutely." You know. It's very special to me. Um, you know, we've got an interesting story. And uh, some of her story is also in the book, but our story is, uh, you know, it's, it's part of my pathway to uh, recovery. And so, and I, it's not just that that stuff, right? I mean, it's like, it's also about living life in recovery. Yeah, How do you get sober? How do you stay sober? That sort of stuff. And so it's not one of these preachy books, though, man. I, I sent... Um, I'm really proud of all of it, but the last chapter especially means something to me. I think it's made the most important thing I've ever written. And I sent it out to a couple people in recovery to kind of say, listen, I don't want this to look kind of showy or preachy or anything. And both of them have given me very positive reviews. And so I'm excited about the book. And after working through it, you know, because when you write it, you're so emotionally invested in what you've just written, right? As many of you are on Twitter and Facebook or message boards, and all of a sudden your post gets deleted. Wait a minute, you know. Just imagine that when there's like 85,000 words. And so that's kind of what we were. And so now that I'm a little bit removed from writing those earlier chapters, I can be a little more objective in the editing process. And it's very exhaustive work. And so I worked through all that stuff the last few days and um, I'll send the final four chapters in before I leave for Nashville, You know, kind of with my stamp of approval. And then it'll come back to me with a little more things here and there. It's a, it's a long, laborious process. As I've said many times, it's fun to plan a book it's fun to start a book it's fun to write a book it's not any fun finishing a book because everybody out there is like i want to write a book someday well you be careful what you wish for there's a lot of work to it and uh i've gotten to the point now i'm not quite so sensitive when it comes to the editing process i used to be a pain man <laughs> things would come up because again my heart's in every word and so when people want to change this it's like hey well this is how i wanted it why are we changing it this way but you understand it's for the betterment of the book and so uh, but all that said, looking forward to you guys having a chance to read that. I didn't make it to Bulldog Burger Company over the weekend. I will do that when I return from Nashville because I have not been able to uh, to satisfy my craving for the sweet heat chicken sliders. I got to get in there and do that. If I wasn't in such a hurry to get to Nashville today, I would do it today. Uh, but all that said, man, Bulldog Burger Company, it's a place that I can always count on. There's so much in my life at times. It's like, you know, things happen and you're disappointed. I'm never disappointed. When I go to Bulldog Burger Company, I'm always elated and excited to get there. And when I leave, I always leave satisfied. You would be the same way. Bulldog Burger Company is a great place for lunch, a great place for dinner, whether it be a work thing or a night out with friends or your family. It is a great place to go spend some time putting your feet under their table and let them take care of you. Yeah, that's one of the fine things in life that we do. When we get a chance to go somewhere, kind of be waited on, just kind of sit and recreate and visit a little bit, there's no better place than Bulldog Burger Company. The kids love it. You love it. Admit it. You do. And you don't always have to have that great restaurant quality hamburger. I typically do. But sometimes, especially for lunch, I'll get that BLT sour, the chicken, the grilled chicken. I love it, man. I do. It's it's so generous. The portion is so generous. And uh, listen, go by and find your own favorites. You know, I love that Mississippi barbecue burger. I'm also a big fan of the Bryant The pimentology add bacon. I mean, there's just so many good options there. And that's part of the the, the concern on my drive over is, what am I going to have today? Because there's so many things I like there. There's a lot of things you like there, too. Get that chocolate shake to go. And as always, get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you better looking, period. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. Don't forget our three great locations, University Drive here in Starkville, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive, and the Ridge and Flowwood area. Bulldog Burger Company. The place where people go to meet. All right, we're doing the, the mailbag show today. Hadn't done this in a while. And uh, again, I I don't have I didn't have a lot of time to get content together over the weekend and make notes and do research. And then media days are starting today. So we'll we we'll get back together on Wednesday, give you a programming note. I'll be back Wednesday afternoon. So the show is going to be recorded Wednesday evening or night. So when you wake up Wednesday morning, the barnyard won't be waiting for you. Just letting you know now, I'll get it to you late Wednesday night, because I'm going to enjoy this time with my wife, and then I'm going to come home, and by the time I get home, I'll be ready to record the show. But, uh, you know, just be prepared. All right, so here we go. I asked our jeanspage.com subscribers for some questions, and some of these are Mississippi State related, some of them are not. I'm not going to be doing a weekly show like the, uh, the Rumblings with Brian and, and Robbie. We're not. And so Brian mentioned to this to me years ago when I used to go to Brian's house to record. Hey, just do a mailbag show. And so I've done this maybe two or three times. So here we go. From thejeanspage.com, true maroon football message board. Slewfoot37 says, if you had to pick one guy to get a hit to win the national championship, who would it be? I personally would go with Jake Mangum. That's a great pick, a great pick. I I think most people would go with Jake Mangum, but I'm not most people. And I love Jake. Got a great relationship with Jake. Love that kid to death, man. His family's fabulous. Of All the people that I've covered in my years of covering Mississippi State, I don't know that there's any I like more than Jake Mangum. Love him, man. Love that family. Uh, But I got to go with uh, Tanner Allen here. And here's why. Uh, when I wrote Dogpile, there was uh, one of the things that I noticed, that it seemed like every time late in the ball game when State needed a hit to start a rally or a hit to score a run or a hit to walk a game off, more times than not, it was Tanner Allen. In fact, I only remember one time it didn't happen, and that was in that game two against Missouri. He came up in a big situation, and I think I want to say struck out. But there was a clutch gene with Tanner Allen in big moments that I think if we're in Omaha winning a College World Series, I got—I probably already got Jake on base, right? I'm going with Tanner Allen. That's me. You may feel differently. Now, there were times, you know, when Will Clark played for the San Francisco Giants. I loved it when Will came up because I knew something special was going to happen. But with the game on the line... I know that T.A. is going to grind out in at bat. I know he's going to spoil pitches. And I think more times than not, T.A. is going to come through. So I'm going Tanner Allen. So thanks for a question, sir. Spee, S-P-E-E, says two questions. Number one, are you aware of a portal backup plan if we don't land Holman? Well, yeah, I think I am. I think so. Uh, there's another name out there that uh, – we hadn't done much with yet, but we're in contact with, and that's Call Steven or Cal Steven, the former ace from the Purdue Bouldermakers. That's another name. And I think this thing with Holman plays out this week, right? I think this is one of those deals where he's taking uh, his visits. He's at Tennessee now. He'll be at Mississippi State next, then at OSU. Shoe. And here and he may go to Auburn, but I think I think they're fading a little bit. But I think what you do is you you got to make sure you know what Holman's going to do before you you know before you gear down, and Steven could be the guy, you know. But there's not a ton out there in the portal. You look at you know it's not as simple as Chris and Monos goes guys can just go get pitchers, right? You got to get guys that you feel like are plug and play guys that make you better this year. I think we all agree with that. You can't just go get another arm. If that's the case, you know there's no point in wasting your time, effort, and I L money, right? I mean I think what you do is you. You wait this thing out. There's a few guys out there. Uh, West from Boston College is another guy too. But um, yeah, I feel okay about Holman. I can't say I feel great. I wouldn't even say I feel good. But I feel okay. And again, this this visit week is huge. And I think if you're Mississippi State, the thing you got to sell them on is like, hey, you can be the Friday night guy here. You know at LSU, there's a good chance that Thatcher herd. is probably the Friday night guy. And then it could be Jump the other UCLA guy, because UCLA has become a farm system for LSU. And so if you're Holman, you're going to LSU, and you're going to be either the Saturday or Sunday guy. Now, how much of that matters, I don't know. You look at Tennessee, well, you know, they got Drew Bean back. That's going to be your Friday night guy. So you're best Saturday. But if you want to be a Friday night guy, then Mississippi State's your best option. Of the schools you're visiting, it's the best option for sure. And, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with uh, with Gonzalez at Auburn. You know, he didn't get to play last year, you know. So, is he the Friday night guy? I don't know. I don't know what he did. I met that kid at a chicken wing place after a ball game. And a uh, super nice kid. But, um, but, yeah, I think Holman, again, Holman is party one. But, yeah, there's some other names out there. But, again, we can't just go get a dude, right? I mean, I'm not going to mention any names. But the reality of it is this. We can't go out there and sign guys that aren't better than what we already have. And we're going to see some guys make a jump this year. We've had that discussion on the show before. But we really need that Friday night guy. We need a fide Friday night guy. We hadn't really had one, I guess, maybe since 2020. And people's like, oh, I don't I – don't Chris, Christian McLeod was filthy in 2020. We thought he was going to be the next first-round pick. And he was kind of up and down in 2021. And, we, you know, we had some really good games with him and some other ones not so much. But uh, – You know, Bednar, of course, ended up being our best guy down the stretch, but he wasn't your Friday night guy, you know, right? And so you kind of understand my point. We we haven't had that guy from day one. You say, this is our Friday night guy. This is the guy that's going to go out here and win a bunch of games for us. We need that because it allows you to move Lofton, uh, Durangelo all back a day. You know, all that's important, too. Number two, percentage chance of flipping Daniels, Beavers, and Eccles. Well, that's a good question, too. Well, he's referring to Conan Daniels from West Point, who's committed to Florida. Cameron Beavers from Bay Springs is committed to Ole Miss. And uh, William Eccles is committed to Houston. I would say the most likely of the three might be Beavers. Uh, Daniels, you know... I feel like he's locked in with Florida. Now, things could change. Obviously, Billy Napier and them have another mediocre year, and they're projected to. That might cause some trouble. And uh, I think State would be in a good position to get him. Cam Beavers, here's my, look, and I like Cam Beavers a lot. I think he's going to be a, two, a true three-tech. That said, he is going to have to put on a lot of weight. He's not the biggest guy. Got a big frame. Real strong kid, but he's going to have to add some mass. So you look at him and you say, you know what, this this is a developmental guy, even though he's ranked high. This is a guy that uh, you have to project with about, I don't know, 60 pounds on him, 50 to 60 pounds. What's that going to do to his athleticism, right? That's the thing. I think he'd be okay. I think he can carry the mass and still be an athlete. But I think State could get him if they wanted to. I hear there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of ebb and flow with this thing with him and Ole Miss. And then there's Echols. I think Echols really wants to go to Ole Miss. I know there's a lot of people that – continue to suggest it's going to work out, it's going to work out, uh, and it may. But I, I would say, you know, you know, working through all this, it's just all of them are possible. I don't know how probable any of them are, so I couldn't really quantify a percentage. But could State sign one of the three, two of the three, all three of the three? I guess it's possible, but it's not very probable. But I, I think when I look at Daniels, I think he's a difference maker, though. If you could have your pick between the three, I'd pick Daniels. But I think Beavers is probably the closest to flipping. 84 Dog says, could this potentially be the best sports year in MSU history? I have high hopes for football, very high expectations for men's or women's basketball. I'm optimistic the baseball lineup be very good and expect marked improvement from the pitching staff and a ton of contributions in the portal. I think it could be. You know, I, I, I laugh at some of these projections. And, you know, maybe I don't know football. I think I do. I mean, I've covered it for a long time. I've watched it my entire life. And, I, and usually uh, old wins in college football. Old typically wins in every sport in college. But, you know, I think in baseball and basketball, you got to find a way to get your most talented guys on the field. Like kind of what we did with Dakota Jordan last year. You know, we, you know, Dan Mullen would never have had Dakota Jordan on the baseball field last year if he'd been our baseball coach, right? Because Dan was so loyal to veterans. Uh, in football, though, experience really matters. It matters in every sport, but probably more so in football. And that's why I'm I'm so interested to see uh, they're, they're going to pick a sixth or seventh in the West this year. Crazy. But, yeah, are we an eight and four, nine and three tight team this year? I think we are. Are we an NCAA tournament team on the men's and women's side? I think we are. Do you think baseball is going to be in an NCAA regional next year? I do. So, yeah, one could make that argument. I mean, hey, you think about where we are this summer, especially if we beat South Carolina in football. I think that's the difference between a good year and a great year. I think that's going to be the difference to kind of get us, probably get us in the top 25 in time because, you know, we got LSU and Bama early. So we're, we're going to be fighting from behind when it comes to the rankings, right? And then people, like always, will get out of the habit of picking us. So it'll take us a while to climb back up there. But the only poll that really counts, if it matters at all, is the last one. As John Cohen told me, in 1989, the only poll that matters is the last one. But, yeah, we, we could have a really good athletic year. We had a good one this year. Outside of baseball, it's really good. We win nine games. We've done that less than ten times in our history in football. We make the tournament on the men's side, win a couple games on the women's side, and I think the men, would, I think we could argue the men were ahead of schedule. The women, we thought, had a pretty good nucleus coming back. We thought they'd have a chance to be a tournament team. We thought they were ahead. But we had a lot to celebrate this year. Not as much as we'd like. And a lot of it, too, you know, the, the way the baseball went towards the end of the year, you know, that that kind of taints the year when you until you take a moment to be objective about it. But, yeah, I think this year could be a really, really good sports year, which is good for Zach Selman. All right, South BD. I must call him South Boy R.D. How do you feel about our O-line going into the season? I feel great about the O-line, to be honest with you. You got four starters back, and you got five guys that all have SEC snaps under their under their belt, filling out that group. You know, the question is going to be, you know, after a couple years of working in the air raid, how quickly will we acclimate to all the the counters and the pulls and things like that? We're going to have offensive linemen more on the move this year and so there'll be some growing pains with all that but i think that's really the determinant factor but i like our group i do i think we've done a good job recruiting under mason miller and mike leach on the offensive line uh, with rare exception and i think we've got a good group i think our two deep is really good obviously there's a drop off between the first and second team but um, you know it's time for some of these guys that, that kind of grow up a little bit i think albert reese is going to handle this transition A lot better than people anticipate. I think Albert Reese is the guy you're going to look back and say, you know what, really glad we signed that kid. All right, pm 289 says, can you share what you perceive as Coach Zach Arnett's NIL strategy? Well, the first thing I'll tell you is he didn't have an NIL strategy because the school doesn't negotiate the deal. Charlie Winfield and Bulldog Initiative have the strategy. Now, you know, of course, there's uh, some understanding you know, what priorities are and that sort of stuff. But uh, the strategy, more times than not, it's been about player retention rather than player recruitment. That's not to say that we're not competitive. But my point being is more times than not, we're going to invest more money in keeping our players than going out and signing players. You have guys that come in here like Tulu Griffin's a good example, uh, Boogie Watson, Dakota Jordan, right? You get guys that come in here and do a good job and you want to keep them from going into the portal. You want to keep them on your roster and not become a farm system for somebody else. So that's kind of been our focus. That's again not to say that we're not uh, being aggressive out there, but that by and large, the way that I understand it, that's been more about player retention. What ratio of money is dedicated to current players, high school, and portal, respectively? There's no way I can answer that, and, and Charlie Winfield's the only guy that has that number. And I would submo- submit to you that not only would he not put it out, he shouldn't put it out. How much of the 23 and 24 class has an IL? There's no way for me to quantify that either. And again, because I think a lot of it's more about player retention. I think what you do is you sit a young man down and say, okay, listen, this is what we've been able to do historically. And, I, and I'm just telling you, it's just a matter of time before somebody improperly incentivizes a recruit to attend their school with NIL, and they're going to get popped. I, 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 you know it as well as I do. And it, it, won't be, it won't be Florida, even though that's the most glaring example. It won't be Florida, it'll be, it'll be Arkansas or Texas Tech or Mississippi State or something like that. that that's who it'll be. So you got to be smart with that. How has this money and strategy compared to baseball and basketball? Again, I, I really don't know how aggressive we are in all three sports, but from what I understand, we're competitive in all three, um, and we can always use some more. A lot of people to think, well, NIL, money comes from the school. It doesn't. It comes from you all. It comes from fundraisers. You know, we did Rock Vegas last year. I don't know if we do it this year. A lot of people want me to do it. Um, and now that i got a book behind me, you know, maybe we'll start sitting down having some discussions about that. I don't know. But uh, we got to figure some things out. But, yeah, a lot of these questions you're asking, and I'd love that to give you a better answer, but uh, they're questions probably better asked to Charlie Winfield, and I don't think you're going to get the answers just because that stuff is private and should likely stay private. I was there, by golly. What a great username. He's been with us for a long time. I was there, by golly. Did Sleep Theory reference your book in the Another Way lyrics? Well, I actually referenced them. And I think I've told you the story before. When I was on my way back from New Mexico from seeing my wife, and I decided maybe it was time for me to write a book. And uh, this song came on, and it just fit my mood perfectly. And it's a song called Another Way from Sleep Theory, a band out of Memphis, Tennessee. Some big things are happening with them. They're on the road with Shinedown right now. Another one of my favorite bands. and uh, But both of their singles have gone to number one. Another Way and Numb have both went to number one. I love their sound. Uh, Cullen, the vocalist, is outstanding. Numb is a little more aggressive in Another Way. Another Way is kind of a power ballad in, in some respects. But when I was considering writing this book, the song Another Way came on. And that, that, whole, that line about when the bottom falls and goes up in flames, uh, when that part hit me, I thought, you know, this is about a breakup, but this feels like a recovery thing, you know, because the metaphorical bottom, people are like, oh, they well, finally hit bottom. Guys, the only true bottom in addiction is death because things can always get worse. People are like, oh, yeah, Steve, I was at rock bottom. You know, no, no, you weren't. I'm glad you found the impetus to get clean and sober, but if you don't think that things can get worse, you're kidding yourself. It's progressive, progressive illness it can absolutely get worse i, I was a guy trying tried to kill myself he's like oh well that, you know surely he gets help there now no, no. Wait, wait till you read the book no i was not one of those people that saw the light i had to feel the heat but uh yeah so yeah there is a connection matter of fact i even informed those guys that uh thank you for the inspiration i'll be naming my next book when the bottom falls and a lot of it came from inspiration uh, from that song you know of course that's that's part of the deal man but uh We'll throw them a bone in the book, too, man, maybe in the acknowledgements. I think you, if you like Modern Rock, check out Sleep Theory, man. I love those guys. I cannot wait to go see them. They won't play like four shows. Can't wait to see them. Can't wait. Tupelo Tide, we appreciate his uh, contributions to our uh, message board over at jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. We appreciate him more than he knows. And he poses an interesting question. If you had to choose between A, leading the hottie toddy cheer at an Ole Miss game, or B, singing the MSU fight song in front of a Davis Wade crowd while wearing nothing but your underwear. Well, there's no decision to make here. Bonus question, because he knows my answer. Which MSU logo would you have on your underwear? Well, it's, these, are, these are all, Todd, I appreciate the, the questions, but these are all obvious answers. There is no way at, at any point. You could put me at gunpoint. I'm not leading the hotty-totty cheer at Ole Miss football game, nor would they want me to do that. The little, the little thing they do, the are you ready thing. Could you imagine, like, my face shows up there and do the are you ready thing? it <laughs> would be crazy. No. I would happily sing, uh, and I would. it depends. Do I want to wear boxers or briefs? That's a good question, right? I guess it depends on the weather, but what state logo? Well, it's got to be state, man. It's got to be the script state. Period. I don't know. I don't know what size you wear. You know, I could probably pull the walking bully off. But uh, you know, we'll go with state, the state script. So thanks for the question, Todd, and thanks for your, uh, your contributions to our wonderful community over at jeanspage.com. All right, time for today's top ten list, and we'll get back to some more of your questions. Brought to you as always by clotheswithblair.com. I mentioned to you guys about this whole thing now, but you can be 18 and buy a home, provided your parents co-sign. The more that I have thought about that, the more I realize this is the way to do it, if you can afford to do it. If you're If, if you're going to have a college kid, and chances are many of you are, instead of throwing your money away and renting an apartment especially if you know they're going to be here, the, the plan is to go to school and then maybe go to grad school. Instead of throwing that money away, renting something and making somebody else rich, why not buy a condo up here or buy you know a, a home or whatever and then allow yourself to help your young adult establish a proper credit rating? But in addition to that too, if they decide to stay here, they can just take over the payments after graduation or they can sell it and everybody recruits some of the investment. And how cool would that be? To think about giving your young person a head start in life, they graduate school and you sell their college home, and then maybe you give them part of that money as a nest egg to kind of get going with their new place. That's what? It sounds too easy. It does. So if you're thinking about that or thinking about buying just a regular home, maybe you're not interested in that aspect of it. Maybe you just want to, like, Steve, I just got a guy about house, you know uh blair's the way to go go to closewithblair.com. c-l-o-s-e with blair b-l-a-i-r.com and blair can give you all the information you need to know it's 601-500-2344 again 601-500-2344 and guys guys i've said it a million times you want to deal with winners that's blair chandler he is a lot of people out there doing a good job blair's doing a great job top one percent close ratio in the country Back-to-back-to-back years. That's closeatblair.com. All right. I I watch a lot of music documentaries, and uh, I just like to know the song, the stories behind the songs, and what the writing process was like. I I do, and uh, I like seeing all the old pictures and the humble beginnings. I mean, nobody is ever really born a star. Some people are born with an incredible amount of talent, but it still has to be refined and developed. And uh, so I watched those documentaries, and I I loved them. I I do. I could watch them all the time. I've seen the Robert Johnson documentary. I watched the Sex Pistols little series they did on Hulu, Pistol, which is great. Um, The Leonard Skinner one is great. ZZ Top one is great. I I watch them, and I love them. And sometimes I watch them more than once. I think that uh, that Kansas documentary is absolutely amazing. I've watched that more times than I can count from out of nowhere. It's amazing. Uh, But I watched one that may surprise you a couple days ago. And I actually had their biggest album on cassette because I am from the 1900s. It's a Wham! That's right. Yeah, Wham! It's worth 90 minutes of your time. If you're a child of the 80s or a teen of the 80s or whatever, or if you were ever a fan of George Michael or Andrew Ridgeley. you know, uh, it's worth sitting down and watching. I, I, I put it on, it's one of those nights, because half the time my Netflix experience is me just like scrolling through a bunch of movies i have never heard of and would never watch. Oh, well, this looks good. My wife's like, let's watch a trailer. And, and, you know, that's that kills two minutes of my evening, right? Uh, so a lot of times, especially when I'm here by myself, I just watch Music Docs. And so I was scrolling through and I couldn't find anything. I said, like, you know, I'm going to watch this Wham thing. It's trending. I'll check it out. It's really good. It is. It's really good. And now, and it just encompasses wham. It doesn't get into a lot of George Michael's uh, solo career or any of his shenanigans or anything like that, but it's good. So if you like 80s pop, I'm going to encourage you to sit down and watch it, and there's nothing inappropriate. There's some people that worry about that. There's none of that. It's just mainly about the music and kind of their, their development as an artist. It's amazing. So here's your top 10 wham songs. Now, the number 10 song actually is very instrumental in uh, Wham becoming a band that was successful. Their first single was the Wham rap, which is awful, awful, and uh, things didn't work out. And then they released their second single, Young Guns, and then there was a cancellation, and they got put on Top of the Pops, which is kind of like England's version of American Bandstand. And it exploded. And uh, their career really took off. They were able to record an album. And you can see when you go back and watch that how instrumental this song that really doesn't fit the rest of the catalog kind of got them going. Number nine, a song that came later in the catalog, is, uh, it got a great bass line too. Great bass line. It's uh, Battle Stations. Number nine, Battle Stations. Maybe you're familiar with this one. Maybe you're not. An interesting song. Probably their first big hit was uh, Club Tropicana. It's it's about a fictional place. It's really just about having a good time and enjoying life. That's what it's about. But it's just kind of, you know, painting the big summer scene and kind of getting out there and enjoying the drink. There's dancing. There's girls. There's fun. There's food. Club Tropicana. Fictional place, but uh, probably a song that uh, initially that they wanted to pan and then it ended up taking off because all of a sudden people were excited about Wham. All right, so the rest of these songs, I submit to you, you know or have heard multiple times. Pretty good top seven here. Number seven, if memory serves me correctly, this is the last single that was ever released by Wham as a group, and it's uh, The Edge of Heaven. They had released a bow, if I remember correctly. They, they didn't want to go out with that So before they played their final show at Wembley, they released The Edge of Heaven, which is number seven on your list. Number six, there was a time this was my favorite song on the Wham! Make It Big album. I still have that cassette around here. And uh, I keep all that stuff thinking. I guess one day I think that I'll hoard that stuff, as my wife says. But at some point, maybe it'll come back around. I, I think it's a collector's item. I have the original pressing of the Make It Big cassette I don't know what I could sell it for on eBay or if I'd want to sell it on eBay. I just think it's pretty cool to still have that stuff, you know, kind of relics of our youth. But it's the song Freedom, because I don't want your freedom. I, I don't. And uh, I, I think I, what I like about that, when I like the little doo-wop part at the beginning, I like the tone of the song. It's such a peppy, little snappy pop song. And I like George Michael's vocal on it. Number five, this is one of those songs, my older sister kim and uh, she doesn't look like she's my oldest sister she's beautiful I love her to death um, this was her song on this album she loved this song and there are a lot of people that think this is one of the top two or three songs in the wham catalog it's a lot more mature it's not just a pop song even though it has, kind of has a pop and synth beat to it but it's a very very serious song it's everything she wants and that that whole line about uh you know So now you tell me that you're having my baby? I'll tell you that I'm happy if you want me to? You know, that's pretty chilly right there, George. But everything she wants. The the percussion on this is a little bit different. You know, it's kind of got a little bit of a, I don't know, kind of a Latin feel, a little bit, a little bit, you know? You know what I'm talking about. Those bongos, it's a little different. Number four, really like this one. And uh, the reason that I do is because... um, you know, it's got some of the best directions of all time. If you're going to do it, do it right. Do it with me. I'm Your Man, number four. Really like this one. And again, the stomps and the claps and all the additional percussion really make this an uplifting kind of, you know, poppy song. But it's one of those things, too. It's, there's so much of this in the WHAM catalog that it's a little more positive. This is one of those songs that kind of puts me in a good mood got some horns in the background i don't like my horns and rock i'll just be honest with you i, I don't like it it doesn't fit it's one thing to do it on uh hard to handle from the black crows because that's a blues song right In it's in its origin but i like horns in the pop music and the funk music i mean i don't know if you, could the commodores have performed a show without the horn section cool in the gang come on now but I'm Your Man, number four. Now, the last three songs, I think many people, we, if we all got together in a room and said, okay, let's vote on what the top three Wham! songs are, I suspect these three would win. We may disagree on the order, but I think we'd all agree these are the top three. Number three, probably a surprise to some people, but when it, as I get through the list, I think you're going to understand. Number three, the very happy, peppy, Video with everybody wearing the shirts that say "Choose Life" and uh, that wasn't a political statement. That was about suicide. You know, choose to live, choose life. Maybe we should all order those shirts. Choose life, but people would probably mistake that nowadays for something else. But uh, my point being is that uh, "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" is your number three song. And what's interesting, if you watch a documentary, they talk about how that came to be. That uh, Andrew Ridgley had read the note. And put on his bedroom door for George to wake him up before he left the next day for work. And when he wrote it across, he put wake, wake, wake me, wake, wake me, wake, wake me before, and then he started to be funny and put go, go, you know, like, and so George Michael saw it, and then one of the greatest pop songs of my generation was born, Wake Me Up Before You Go, Go. Cause I'm not planning on going solo, and the whole part too about you know take me dancing tonight. It's about living life, man. It's a very very upbeat song. No matter what you think about George Michael, his politics or how he lived his life, the guy was one of the biggest pop superstars in the world. And as a solo artist, he sold over 120 million records. Are you kidding me? An incredible songwriter. No matter your genre of interest, you got to respect George Michael. Number two. And uh, George talks about this. They were sitting there watching a soccer game, and all of a sudden he goes upstairs and he gets a four-track out and he records this song and it ends up being one of the greatest Christmas songs of all time. It's Last Christmas. I gave you my heart the very next day, you throw it away. Right? Last Christmas is incredible. And what's interesting, they had had three number one hits that year, and that was going to be number four. And so they work all this together. Okay, we're going to release it right around like two weeks before Christmas, and it's going to be number one. It'll be great. While in production, George Michael got um, invited to, to do that song. Do they know it's Christmas time? You know, Bob Geldof's big project over there to raise money for uh, the famine in Ethiopia at the time. We had a lot of that back in the eighties. You know, we tried to you know do these benefits through music. And George Michael said the entire time he said, "I knew I knew then we were going to be number two because Do they know it's Christmas time was going to be number one, and it was. But uh, Last Christmas did eventually get a number one ranking many years later. Number one, though, and I think this is the quintessential uh, wham song. I was amazed to learn that George Michael and Andrew Roadsley wrote this when they were like 16 and 17 years old, respectively. What is your teenager doing with their life? You got George Michael out here writing Careless Whisper, one of the timeless sad love songs. At 16 years of age, are you kidding me? 16, you wait till Ian gets back from Young Life Camp. We're going to have a big talk about this. It's amazing to think how talented these guys were. And Careless Whisper, everybody knows it. Everybody's covered it too. I think the best cover version of Careless Whisper is Seether, and I'll I'll Die on That Hill. But uh, an incredible song, and um, I can't remember the numbers, but George Michael auditioned like a dozen different saxophone players because of how important that was in the composition of the song and that's really kind of what you remember right there's opening bars and you hear that great saxophone part it's incredible and they said George was one of those kind of people that was so incredibly focused on what he did that you know he just saw and heard music in a different way than us and uh, so again George Michael gone way too soon and uh, Andrew Ridgeley still kind of he was what's funny too is like he was the driving force behind wham in the beginning like he's the one that had to convince george michael we're putting the band together and george was against it and andrew stayed on him and finally got it done and in the beginning andrew was so far advanced as a musician he inspired george michael to be better and in time george michael of course becomes one of the best songwriters of the 80s and beyond people forget how huge george michael was It's incredible. I mean, the album Faith in and of itself, one of the best selling rock albums or pop albums of all time. It's nuts. But Andrew Ridgely is the guy that kind of unearthed this hidden gem that was George Michael. And eventually George kind of outgrew Andrew and Wham, the the run with Wham only lasted four years. Isn't that crazy to think about? You think about how we're still talking about him and you know, most of these songs, they all came out in a four year period. It's nuts. So, enjoy the Wham documentary. If you're a kid of the 80s or maybe you're just looking for something to watch, I would encourage you to watch it. It's, it's, it's worth 90 minutes of your time. Because most, you know, you're going to spend 30 minutes trying to pick out something to watch. And you'd already be 30 minutes into this thing, right? So, I would check it out. If you like music at all, check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. And thanks as always to uh, toblair.com for sponsoring our top 10 list. Next segment of the show is always brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvilleian really institution. Campus bookmart has been around to take care of you. You've had needs in the past. You've had wants, desires for Mississippi State merchandise. They've always come through for you. And maybe if you haven't frequented that location, you should. Easy to find, neatly positioned on the backside of campus. You swing through there, you grab that new Mississippi State shirt, you put that bad boy on, you ride that ride to, to Davis Wade Stadium with a smile, right? Fun, fun times. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's internet at campusbookmart.net. And being a loyal Boneyard listener, that pays. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. and you're going to spend 75 bucks When you look at their fine selections, you're going to probably overfill the cart, right? So we're going to save you a little money just by being a part of our family. Promo code BSR. At campusbookmart.net be sure and check them out today all right back to your questions and this uh, one of my favorite posters on gene's page and uh, it's because of the sticky note if you're a member of our family you know who i'm referring to it's dog season 12 out of the new assistants on staff that have never coached here before between bar bay bump friend schmidt dewberry who do you hear the most positive and glowing reviews on behind the scenes as far as recruiting? That is an excellent question, and I have an excellent answer. It's pretty close between Bumpus and Wolf Friend. I would probably go with Bump, though, just barely. Friend's done a great job. He has. I mean, he got... Uh, Jimothy Lewis, a lot of people didn't expect uh, him to seriously consider Mississippi State, but uh, Will had a great relationship already established with him from his time at Auburn. That carried over to here. Jimothy, of course, a guy that's originally from Madison, Mississippi, now committed to Mississippi State. We're going to have to work hard to keep him, but he is a bulldog. But i got to go with Bump. Bump interacts with these younger guys because he is a younger guy in a way that I think is different. I think that, number one, Chad has a lot of credibility because many of these guys that are coming up, they either played with or watched Chad Bumpus in college. And so Chad has done it in the SEC. He can talk about what it's like to go play in Tuscaloosa, what it's like to play in the Egg Bowl, how important those games are, the preparation required. And so the young guys really gravitate to him. You don't have Stonka Burnside committed right now without Bumpus. You don't have J.J. Harrell committed without Bumpus. And so I would say Bump closely followed by Will Friend. You're talking to our offensive line recruits. They love that guy. They love Schmidt too. But Friend has been a guy that uh, has been mentioned more regularly to me. Uh, But again, I go Bump and then Will Friend. Who leads us this season in receiving yards, catches yards and TDs? Uh, If you know anything about Dog season 12, he is obsessed with wide receivers. He used to always post this little meme about this guy talking to this beautiful blind at a baseball game, and it said, listen, we run the air raid. We're getting all the receivers. I I loved it. I loved it. That was a meme that was making the rounds on social media, but his caption of it was the best. But I got to tell you this. Um... I think catches, I think we're going Justin Robinson. I think Justin Robinson is a guy that will feed a little bit more. I think because of the fact that uh, the safeties are going to have to come up and respect the run, I think you're going to see more one-on-ones. I think he is the guy that is big and physical and capable of winning those one-on-ones. Yards, I'm going Tulu. Because Tulu has now been properly positioned as a slot receiver. He will have – You know, the inside and the center of the field to work with. And he's a guy that uh, is fleet of foot, shall we say. You're going to see some big plays in this offense from from Tulu. And I think also, too, the little puff pass and that sort of stuff, the the stuff we do behind the line of scrimmage that counts in the passing game, it's essentially a run. But because it's a forward pass, I think you're going to see us use that regularly. So I'm going to go yards with him. Touchdowns. That's a great question. But I think I'm going to go Justin Robinson. I think Justin Robinson is a better red zone weapon. I think you can throw the fade to him. Again, he's that big physical guy that can kind of wall off a defender. I think Justin Robinson's going to have a big year. I do. Now, Jaden Wiley's going to be in a mix and all these things too. He's going to be among the statistical leaders in all three categories. I think Justin's going to have a big year too. But I just like the fact that we're, I think we're going to be able to run the football. I think we're going to have some methodical drives from time to time. And we're going to beat so many safeties up. We're going to get in some matchups that favor Justin Robinson. And I think Barbe is intelligent enough and proven and proficient enough as a play caller to utilize the strengths Justin Robinson has. I mean, that that, that fade to the back pylon in the red zone, if he ever gets leverage, it's over. It's just going to be a matter of if we can get the football to him. So thanks for the question, and thanks as always for the sticky notes because once the sticky notes come out – it's a done deal in recruiting. It's a done deal. And one of my favorites is like we started, it even transferred over to baseball. Justin Parker, no matter what, was what the sticky note said. It's kind of become a little thing. It's almost like the guarantee. Once the sticky note comes out, then people can get excited. Right now, there are a lot of sticky notes about Braden Montgomery. So it's, it's given us hope. So thanks, as always, Dog Season 12 for being a part of our, our Mary Band of Maroon Misfits over there. Maroon Maskew ask, number one, can Lofton and Lowe carry most of the load next season similar to Bednar and Christian in 2021 if we don't land Holman? Well, they may have to. They may have to, but uh yeah, Carson Legon's coming in too, and so I think he's a guy too that'll be a bit of a workhorse for us as well. I'm really excited about Lofton, and uh, one of the things, again, that I've been told countless times is he just never got comfortable last year. You know, like he there, there were times he's a competitor, and he just tried to kind of work through, you know, some of that. He was a little, a little uncomfortable at times, and they did that little clean air procedure, and uh, he's going to be fine. And I think you're going to see why Bradley Lofton was considered a first or second round draft pick. I think Lofton will probably take the biggest jump among the returning pitchers. I really do. I think a lot of people are discounting him because they didn't get to see him pitch a whole lot last year, and he let us in walks. And, a lot of, again, that goes all the way back to being uncomfortable. And so you get that handled, you get him healthy, and you get him with Justin Parker, a guy that I think will get the most out of him. I think, I think again, Lofton's a guy that's going to make a big jump. And I think, you know, Gerangelo has never been a guy that walked pitchers until he got – walked hitters until he got here. And I think the thing that I continue to hear from talking to some people closely affiliated with the program is that Parker is really, really, really pushing this whole mental element, this dog toughness. It's not just about analytics, it's about being a competitor. It's about trusting your stuff and going in there and attacking a guy, attacking hitters. So I think you're going to see more of that. I think that flows well with what is all about. So, yeah, I, I think both of those guys are going to have a good year for us, and we and they have to, right? But we really need that Friday guy so we can maybe bump those guys back a year or back a, a, a day on the weekend. You know, we'll see how things go. But, um, you know, I like as much competition as we can get on the weekends. Number two, what are you most excited about seeing in Arnett's first season as the head man? What I expect, uh, Mr. Maskew, and again, thanks for your questions, is we have been in many respects kind of a finesse offense, and then we were a blue collar in your face, punch you in the mouth defense. I think you're going to see those attributes kind of translate over to offense. I think we're going to be a team to beat you up. I think we're going to be a team that's going to be able to run football. Uh, but in addition to that, I think we're a team that's going to keep you guessing, kind of like we do on defense. It's not going to be just going up there trying to win a battle of attrition. We're going to run some wrinkles. We're going to do some crazy stuff on offense like we do on defense. And I like the bay addition. I I, I do. We, we broke that down here a couple weeks on the show. But Zach is a guy that has really restored – I think in many respects, the physicality and the unpredictable nature of defense, it's a big play defense. And again, we go back and talk about what Arnett has been as a player and as a coach. This is another guy that's got credibility in the room. And I think he is going to instill many of those same attributes that he possesses on the offensive side of football. So I'm eager to see us play a more physical brand of offensive football love mike love the air raid it was fun it probably didn't work out as well as we hoped but we won nine games last year but i think we're going to be more multiple on offense and i think that's going to also save some wear and tear on the defense i think we're going to beat people up oink 227 gotta pick only one pumpkin pie or sweet potato pie i don't like either but if I had to pick, I would go with sweet potato pie. I would rather have a sweet potato casserole with those marshmallows on the top. But I'm not a huge fan of either. I'm not a big fan of orange. There's something about anything that has carrots in it. I'll, I may eat it. Be okay. If it's got sweet potatoes in it. Eh, be okay. Like my wife can eat those sweet potato fries and love life. I, that's just not me. I can eat pumpkin pie if it's... Um, I don't know if, it, if it's in great situations, but... Um, I would never pick either. Like if I had the choice like if you laid them all on the table, if I had to pick between those two though I got to go sweet potato pie. JC10 says, why are sports analysts so lazy when it comes to Mississippi State? I don't think it's just Mississippi State. I think many people are just lazy by nature. That's what a lack of accountability does to people, right? Like I love the like the hot take. like one, one of my favorite favorite follows on Twitter is uh, freezing cold takes. Uh, people come out with these hot takes and they're completely wrong i think a lot of people just you know that's, that's one of the reasons i don't go to sec media days i've been a couple times and um number one you don't learn a lot from it uh our people will be there robbie will be there dave will be there and uh, we're going to cover it but I, I just don't like going uh, i do like the fraternity of the event to be able to kind of see people that you only see a couple times a year i like that aspect of it but as far as a media opportunity, nobody's breaking any news other than Greg Sankey. I mean, Sankey's opening address today will be big and important uh, because of the fact that he'll kind of outline the vision for the SEC, and he'll touch on some things that the league has been working on behind the scenes, as we discussed last week. That'll be important. But the rest of it is just really a chance for everybody to use their expense accounts to go to Nashville, which is a great town, uh, have some great food, get out and kind of recreate. It's kind of like you know the unofficial kickoff to football season. But there are just so many people that don't do any research before they vote because they don't take that process seriously. And you know what? At the end of the day, there's a part of me that gets that because these preseason lists don't really matter. They don't. Now, the honor of bestowing a young man with a preseason all SEC honor that's pretty cool because that makes the wall in the football complex, right? It's something that it's a nice accomplishment to be respected by the SEC media is a big deal as an individual. But as far as a team goes, it means nothing. I think Mike Lee said it about last year. I don't care what they say. Why would I ever ask those guys advice on anything? Right, that's what Mike said. And State was picked low last year and finished third in the West. Will we pick low again this year? I even saw uh, what SEC Mike, who, uh, listen, I, I give SEC Mike some credit, Michael Bratton, uh, does a good job kind of finding content out there for social media, but he picked a seventh in the West. You know, to me, and again, I'm biased. I admit that. But if we did blind picks, like if somebody just sat them down and said, okay, this team won X amount of games. This is their returning starters. Here's the situation with coordinators. I think most people would pick Mississippi State to be in the upper half of the SEC West. They wouldn't pick us ahead of Alabama or LSU, nor should they. But is State the third or fourth best team in the SEC West? I think you could make that case. A&M went five and seven last year. Why are they why are people picking them third? You think you think Bobby Petrino is gonna make that big a difference? Those two egos, Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino together, do you really think that's gonna be a seamless transition? It's not. And Connor Wegman's a guy that they got, has a lot of talent. They're gonna to have to find a way to simplify the reads for him a little bit, but that, that's a guy too. Again, gonna to be a first year starter. I mean And so why are why are people picking him third? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, Auburn by Auburn standards, is kind of talent deficient. You know, they, went, they hit the portal and tried to remedy some of that, and maybe they have. But it's like it's a brand-new coach. It's a brand-new scheme on both sides of the football. And so a lot of people are saying they're going to be six or seven. Then you look at Arkansas and you think to yourself, okay, you got K.J. Jefferson, you got Rocket. Absolutely. Should be a, a tremendous running game. They always have a good offensive line. As long as Sam Pittman's there, they will. Guys, that defense was historically bad last year. It's not just about how many game, points you can score. It's how many you allow. And they're going to ask so much of KJ. You begin to kind of ask yourself, you know, can he handle the rigors of the season? A lot of questions about Arkansas. And then you talk about Ole Miss. I mean, yeah, you know, look at what happened last year when they actually played somebody. Yeah, down the stretch. They finished 8-4 and four and probably should have finished 7-5. and five. It's part of the deal. And so... If you look at State and Ole Miss together and you say, okay, well, they're probably comparable teams. Okay, where's the egg this year? It's in Starkville. So if it comes down to that game, you're going to pick Ole Miss to win in Starkville? I'm not. So I think State should be in the top half, and I think there are a lot of reasons to suggest that, but it's amazing that the standards that are applied to Mississippi State are not uniformly applied by the media. It's like, oh, well, the state's got a new offensive coordinator. That's true. Auburn has two brand-new coordinators. Arkansas has two brand-new coordinators. A&M, the only team in the West to have a losing record, they have a new coordinator. So why doesn't that standard apply to them? Why is it just Mississippi State? Well, Mississippi State's transitioned away from the Raid. Well, you've told me for three years it wasn't going to work anyway. So you can't have it both ways. So now we're going to go out and run a more balanced scheme. We're going to be be worse because we've got a first-year coordinator. Well, so does this about everybody else. Run the numbers yourself. It's a much different league this year from a coordinator standpoint. Offensively, things are going to be different. It's frustrating to me. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what everybody says. There's the reason we play the games. All right, a nine six one nine seven three eight seven underscore Scout. I have no idea who that was with Scout, but that's one of those uh, default things when we made the merger. He has a handful of questions. Is Zach Selman a game changer for us? Am I right? Uh, I think so. I've been impressed with Zach so far, and I wasn't sure what to expect. And in my interactions with him, he's been both very engaging, very intelligent. And one of the things that I admire about intelligent people. I think one of the biggest marks of intelligence are people that listen. They listen. And uh, I think you're going to see some changes. You know, of course, uh, with the, with men's basketball, we brought the students closer to the floor. Uh, that's something that a lot of us have wanted to see for a long time. I think it makes us uh, have a more of a home, home court advantage. But I think you're going to see some more things like that. I think Zach is very receptive to the uh, – the comments of the fans and I think one of the things that I like about him one of the same qualities that I admired about Mike Leach is when I go sit and visit with Zach he wants to know what's going on with me it's not just him there as an administrator kind of telling me what's going on Mississippi State he has a genuine interest and that's not to say that John Cohen didn't John and I are great friends but um you know, Zach doesn't know me, right? And so, and every time we sit and talk, I learn a little something about him personally, too. So it's not just about the job. I think Zach is a very genuine person. And I think you guys are going to like him a lot. Number two, I feel like nine wins this year. Am I off base? I don't think you're off base. I think we've got a good chance of winning nine this year. Again, we've only done that back-to-back years, what, twice in our history? And that was 14 and 15. That's it pretty nuts with well, only quarterback it's ever done it's deck prescott will rogers has a chance to do that too and deck prescott of course the most iconic player in our our program's history and will rogers has a chance to match that accomplishment i think will rogers is underappreciated I, i've said it before on the show i think when we look back in hindsight people are going to realize how good we had it with will and listen will is not a dual threat quarterback that's not his that's not his strength but will is an incredible leader Will is a guy that's well-respected in the huddle and in the locker room. And Will has done some amazing things here. He has. And I think he's going to put up a 9 win season this year, or perhaps better if we upset somebody. And I think we're going to look back and say, you know what, that guy had a big-time career here, and we didn't really appreciate it when we had it. Number three, where does both basketball teams finish this year? That's a great question. I think both of them, I think you're probably looking for placement within the league I think we're top half of the league in both I think the men's team is going to be a lot better than what we had last year because we have the nucleus back we have added some interesting pieces and I think Chris Jans is a winner and that matters Sam Purcell is recruiting near the same level that Vic Schaefer did and I think the women are going to be good. I think we've made two really good hires there. And I think both of those teams are going to be NCAA tournament teams this year. We've got to be a little better in the post on the women's side. Uh, but I think this year the men's team is capable of some pretty big things. I think, we're, I, think, I think we're going to wreck somebody's season on the men's side. I think there are some teams out there that uh, probably have some very high expectations this year. That they're going to remember the night they came to the Humphrey Coliseum. Number four, do we host this coming year? And Kendall Rogers is now deferring his questions to me. Kendall's my friend too. I, some of you guys have beat him up lately on social media. Kendall's my friend. I don't always agree with him, uh, but we do trade messages from time to time. And like a lot of times, if I hear things about coaching stuff, I'll send it to him. I will. I mean, if it's not a story, I'm going to write. If I hear something, I'm because there's going to be a day I'm going to ask him for something, you know, and, and I do. Hey, what are you hearing about this? So you know, it, it's not a uh, one-sided relationship where I'm just a consumer. I try to be a contributor. I like those guys at D1 baseball. I do. I like KP. I, lo- I love Fitty. Uh, I've met all those guys, and uh, I, I respect the fact that they get out and actually go to games. And it's a big crew. It is, but. Uh, Do we host? I think a lot of it boils down to how we do here in the portal here in the next couple weeks. If we get that bonafide Friday night guy, we host. If we don't, we're a two-seed somewhere. But that's the thing about being an SEC team. I mean, you know, if we go in there as a two-seed somewhere, you still have a very good chance of winning. But I I like my postseason baseball local. I think it's good for the local economy, obviously. But coming to play here in front of 15,000 people, that is something that most people can't do. As we saw that Notre Dame Super a couple years ago, the number one defensive team in the country, and they came up here and it's absolutely imploded. And it was because of all of you. We had a great team. But if we have to play that series in South Bend, it's, it may be a different story, the truth be told. Hey, thanks for all you do. Go to hell, old Miss. Amen, brother. All right, uh, Mar- I think it's Hail Mari. Uh, great name. I've recently got into Danzig. What are your thoughts on this band? I like Danzig, but I'll tell you, I've liked them better as an adult than I did as a teenager. I didn't think Glenn Danzig was especially skilled as a vocalist because the time that Danzig kind of came up, I mean, you know, we had a lot of these operatic singers, and Danzig had a little more rasp, a little more grit to his vocal, and I, I didn't appreciate it, maybe perhaps, as I should have. And, of course, The Misfits, a legendary band... So I was a little bit late to the party. But uh, how do you not like Mother? Like when I go to a Friday night football game and all of a sudden they crank up Mother from Danzig, if that doesn't get you going, man, I don't know what does. So, yeah, I like Danzig. I'm not a huge Danzig fan, but I have a healthy respect for Glenn Danzig. And uh, it's a little different deal. It is. It is. And and he is very limited in what they do. But um, it's interesting. Okay, paper... Spaceship, can we get a ranking of your top five favorite posters on Gene's page? Well, I don't like to play favorites. Some of you are like my kids, you know. Um, I don't know that I could give you a top five. Let me think about that for just a second. Let me—I do like Dog Season Twelve a lot. I I do. One of the things I like about him: number one, he's usually very positive. But in addition to that, when he and I disagree, it's never a personal thing. Like we can have the opposite take and still be friends. And I think if more people were like Dog Season 12, that we can agree to disagree and still have respect for each other, the world would be a better place. And there have been times we've had some very heated discussions about things that we both disagree about, we're very passionate about, but yet we remain on friendly terms. I think that's an important thing, not just in the internet community, but in life. So Dog Season 12, easily one of my top fives. Um, this may surprise you a little bit. Uh, Colonel King is one of my favorites. Yes, he gets extremely irrational about football recruiting. You know, he thinks we ought to be able to get everybody in the country. Why aren't we getting more five stars? But on the baseball side of things, I mean, his knowledge of the game and the ability to scout, I lean on him a lot uh, when I have questions. There will be things that will pop up in baseball. I remember a couple years ago when uh, – I guess Ole Miss was playing Oklahoma. I can't remember who they were playing. They were in Omaha. And uh, Mike Bianco elected to pinch hit back-to-back left-handers against a left-handed pitcher. And I'm like, well, that's that just kind of goes against everything I know about baseball. So I'm like, hey, are there any analytics to support this? Well, sure enough, there were. That particular pitcher, I believe it was Oklahoma, the splits against lefties was not good. Now, granted, he did get both of Ole Miss's left-handers to get – I want to say he struck them both out. But to have that resource available to us, to be able to ask somebody that has the ability to give us the analytics about stuff to kind of get into that side of baseball, that it's a tremendous contribution to our community at jeanspage.com. And, uh, again, I know that he, on the football side, it's a much different dynamic. It is. Much different. But um, – I like Tupelo Todd a lot. Tupelo Todd uh, kind of improves the scenery around there. A lot of people don't like the GIFs. I like using GIFs. I do. Because sometimes the GIF will say what I can't. Todd doesn't try to articulate his point with the GIF. More times than not, it's a beautiful woman or something like that. And uh, sometimes there's some silliness involved with all that. Uh, so I do appreciate that. I, I appreciate that contribution. I know people are like, but Steve, it's not a ballroom. Well, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just a group of friends getting together and just kind of shooting the breeze about their favorite team and about SEC sports. And sometimes, sometimes a girl in a bikini pops up. I mean, I'm, you know, it's just kind of how it is. And and I'm listen, I'm not anti improving the scenery, but I'd have to get a little deeper in that. Uh, Peanuts are my favorites too. I I like peanut a lot. Uh, peanut Oh four. He is, uh, he's a guy that has been with us for a long time. And, uh, a true recruiting man. This is a guy, you've got some connections, but also, too, the thing I like about Peanut is uh, he doesn't fall in love with kids just because he thinks we're going to get them. He'll tell you, ah, you to, this is going to be interesting. This is an interesting fit for us. I, I like people that can be measured in their evaluations, even if they're just a fan, right? Does that make sense? Because what happens, there are a lot of people out there, we get anybody, oh, we love them, we love them, we love them, we love them. It's okay sometimes to say, you know what, this is an interesting take. Uh, he's going to need to develop. And I think Peanut does a good job of managing and kind of navigating through the emotions of the recruiting process and the reality of the recruiting process. Because there's a lot of the kids out there that have a lot of numbers and stars next to their name that may not be the best fit for Mississippi State. And I'm not trying to sit here and say we shouldn't go out and recruit the most talented players. We, we should. We absolutely should. But we got to get guys that mesh well with what we want to do. And I think Pena does a good job of that uh, for sure. And then i got to go uh, MBB24, one of my favorite baseball posters, uh, a guy that I've known for a long time. Uh, you know, And one of the things, too, is I can call him and I can say, hey, what, uh, what are you hearing that you didn't put on the message board, you know? And uh, I like people like that. But hey, listen, I, I could I could talk about our people all day. Man, I'm so incredibly grateful to the people that have uh, that have been with us, man. We've been doing this a long time, and uh, I, I've been a part of Gene's page now for 22 years, and uh, it just kind of blows my mind to think about that, you know. And uh, I've I've had wives that have come up to me at book signings that'll say, you know, my husband grew up reading you. I said, how old is your husband? Oh, he's 25 or 30 or whatever. Oh, my goodness. You know, I've been doing this a long time. And there are a lot of our posters that have been with us for 20-plus years. It's amazing. It is. And uh, we've had a record year. And, uh, you know, uh, we're at an all-time high in subscriptions. It's remarkable to think about that, that you know, that we could continue to grow all these years later. And I think a lot of that's because we're doing a better job than anybody. And uh, I don't know what the future holds, but I know this. I know that uh, that we're going to be a part of it always and it's always going to be our goal and we've recently added some new writers to the site and uh trying to always add some value to the membership so uh that would be and i know right now somebody's going to p.m me i can't believe you didn't pick me this is just kind of off the top of my head right this is not an official ranking but um yeah there's a lot of people that contribute a lot uh to our message board community a lot of people that love mississippi state and at times they have some connections but uh you know, that's the better part of this it's a place that you can go and interact with other bulldog fans that are kind of like-minded and one thing that I'll give you a lot of credit for there are sometimes people will change my mind like I'll have an opinion about a player or about a situation and sometimes people get out of here and they'll kind of lay it out in a way i start second guessing myself I'm like you know this is probably maybe I had this wrong and I think that's the better part of maturity maturity sometimes too is to be able to admit that, you know what maybe Maybe I should listen to this person. Maybe, they're, maybe they have a better take on it than I do. And uh, I, that happens to me quite frequently, to be honest with you. All right, C. Frost. Who will make a major impact on this year's football team that isn't being talked about much today? I think it's Jaquarius Spivey, to be quite honest with you. I, I think, number one, nobody has film on how we're going to utilize the tight end position, but Jaquarius was a jumbo X in a previous scheme. he can catch a football. And uh, I think he's a guy, too, that uh, was eager to get back. And I think that he is a guy that's kind of a secret weapon in many respects. Is he going to lead us in receptions? No, he's not. But I think that he can be a guy, especially on third down, that really puts linebackers in conflict. He is a walk and mismatch. I think Jaquarius Spivey has a chance to do some big things. How would you rank in order J.J. Johnson, Jarius Norwood, Desenzo Miller, Anthony Dixon, Vic Bauer? That is a great question. Uh, I'm going to go – just based on individual talent here, not on who had the best career statistically. But I got to go with J-Rock. J-Rock is number one for me. J-Rock, one of the most explosive players and uh, played on some really bad teams. And God, how bad would we have been if we didn't have him? But I got, I got to go J-Rock number one. And then uh, I think I'm going to go J.J. Johnson number two because the SEC... In the late 90s, was very, very physical. It was a much different league. You had to be a grown man to play there, not in any way to diminish the talent of everybody today. But with everybody spreading you out, it's a much different deal. The physical rigor that was demanded in the late 90s, because you had a lot of, uh, you know, I formation, 4-3, cover two, a lot of football played in the box. You had to be a grown man, and J.J. Johnson was. From there, it gets kind of interesting, but I got to go with Booby. I got to go with Booby here. Uh, number one, at some point, you got to look at it and say, you know what? He was the guy that didn't always play on great teams either. If Dan Mullen had come along a year before, I mean, Booby could have been maybe a second-round draft pick. I mean, we got the best out of Booby, And the thing that I – he's just an infectious guy that loves Mississippi State, but also a guy, too, that made everybody around him better. And then I'm, this is probably a surprise here. This is tough to do, but I'm going to go Vic Ballard. Vic was part of some really good teams at Mississippi State. I think he was underappreciated as a player. And he was a guy that was very reliable and dependable, and you knew what you were going to get every time he went out there. And then Desenzo. And, and again, that's not to say Desenzo was terrible, but Desenzo also had the benefit of having Dante Walker with him much of his career. Uh, but Desenzo was a guy, too, you talk about a winning ball player. He's not a guy that you know, if you, you'd go pick out – at the NFL draft Combine, and said, that's my guy. But Senzo with the Senzo shake, man, I'm doing it right now. You know, I loved it. I loved it. And, and again, I, I feel terrible ranking Desenzo Senzo fifth because you're talking about some of the five of the best running backs in the history of Mississippi State football. So to even be included in this group is quite the honor. So while he's fifth, he's not last. If you understand what I'm saying, there's no way in disrespect to Senzo. I love Senzo. Still see him around. Uh, always comes up, shakes my hand, hugs my neck, man. I, and I love all these guys. But, uh, and I've seen them all in uh, recent years. And uh, interviewed um, Booby and J-Rock uh, for the books. And I remember Vic Boward after uh, the free stuff, Vic tweets out, called me a legend. I mean, that's, that means a lot to me. I mean, Vic's a guy that I went and saw play in high school. Matter of fact, when I went to go see him play as a senior, we weren't even recruiting him. We were recruiting his teammate. who I can't even remember his name. And then Vic ends up going to Mississippi Gulf Coast, and we go back and recruit him, and he became uh, a pro. Amazing. All right, Bernardo's right hook uh, and an homage to uh, a dark day for us in Hawaii. Out of Conan Daniels, Daniel Hill, and Juju Pope, who are most likely to land as our top running back in this class? I I told you earlier, I don't think it's going to be Daniels unless things really fall apart with Florida. We're still on him. And you say, how do we lose a kid at West Point? Well, there's some other factors involved. I like Daniel Hill a lot. And uh, he's pushed his decision back a little bit. He's going to decide next month. I just don't know if we're going to be able to get that thing done. I I think he's going to make Alabama tell him no. I know South Carolina has some juice. I don't even know if we get a visit from him. So at this point, I can't with any confidence say that we're going to get him. But I do know that we're working hard to improve our standing there. And you would think, you know, being the son of a former Mississippi State player, we wouldn't have to work this hard, but we are. And there's Juju Pope. I think Juju Pope, I think I think we take him. I think I think if if we're based on these three, I think Juju Pope was committed to Arkansas. I think he is the most likely of those three to choose Mississippi State. Bulldogs, two three, one. Are you worried about South Carolina? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. That's going to Williams Bryce to play. Is going to be interesting I, I've never covered a game there we don't get to play there that often which is a shame that's why this new schedule rotation should be a good thing for us I mean I don't know how many of you folks have been to Williams Bryce I've never been been for baseball never been for football so I'm looking forward to going and doing that and marking that one off uh, my Bulldog football list there are only two stadiums in the SEC I haven't covered in that's the Swamp and Williams Bryce. So I'll take care of that and get that off my bingo card this year. But, yeah, I'm worried about it. Anytime you've got to go on the road in the SEC, it's a big deal. I'm kind of glad we get them early. And Spencer Radler is the guy that um, when things break down, he can hurt you with his feet. And, you know, the last year against Arnett, the teams that gave us trouble were teams with a mobile quarterback that could kind of create and extend the play. So that could be something that worries me. They did lose a lot. They did. But they do have, you know, one of the more – you know, proficient quarterbacks in the conference that are back. Uh, we're going to have to be able to stop the running game. Without a doubt, we are. Uh, they have a lot of momentum, but they really aren't that talented at the skill positions. They lost some dudes on defense. Yeah, I think the thing with us is the fact that we get them rather early in the schedule. I don't know how much of film things we're going to put on film early on to give them a chance to get a true scout on us with this new scheme. But, yeah, that's a game, again, I said it be- – Top part of the show, uh, I think that's the difference between a good year and a great year. That game. Chris Ralph, how will Barbe fare in his inaugural season? Uh, thank you, Chris, for the question. That's not the real Chris Ralph. but uh, Or maybe it is. Maybe it is. I think Kevin's going to do well. And uh, we broke that down here a couple weeks ago about how Appalachian State last year, despite the fact that they, you know, they were coming off a 10-win campaign the year before. It actually got better on offense in Barbade's first year. They were better in every statistical category as far as average yards per game. They had they scored more points. They achieved more first downs. Uh, more passing yards per game. More running yards per game. Total offenses up. Everything including uh, third down efficiency. Every offensive statistical category got better in year one under Kevin Barbade at App State. What that tells me is that guy knows how to call plays? That guy knows how to set up plays. That's a guy that understands the flow of football. And I don't know that, that uh, he's ever had a defense of caliber of the one he's going to have this year to work with. That's an interesting dynamic of it too. That was the problem at App State last year that, uh, defensively; they kind of struggled. You know, they could score, they just couldn't stop anybody at times. And they did play a difficult schedule last year. To be fair to them, but uh, but all that said, I think Barbe is going to do well, and I think you benefit from having the veteran quarterback and four starters back on your offensive line. And the the truth of the matter is we're not having to depend on first-year Bulldogs. Right? I mean, Jeffrey Pittman's a guy that may see some carries, you know. uh, But, you know, Woody Marks is an established back. Simeon Price is a guy that really showed some flashes down the stretch. Justin Robinson's been in the program now for a couple years. You know what you got in Tulu. You know, so you're not having... You, you, Kevin Barbet is not having to bring guys in and then teach them about college football. He's only having to teach them about his scheme and his philosophy. So I think he hits the ground running. Davis Wade Dog with our final question of the day. Who scores the first touchdown this season and how? I'd love to be able to tell you it's Tula Griffin uh, on the opening kick return against Southeastern Louisiana. And I don't rule it out because I don't think Southeastern is going to be able to kick the ball into the end zone, right? So, and how many times have we talked about that? That has probably been one of the most – one of the stats we have made the most significant on this show is teams that can't routinely kick the ball in the end zone have to kick it to Tulu, and that allows State more times than not to get, you know, plus field position. So, yeah, I could see Tulu taking – it. well, how fun would that be to open the kickoff of the year and Tulu takes it back? Can you imagine the cowbell clang? How amazing that would be? It would be incredible. I think in the end, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go on a dark horse here I'm going to give you two choices, but I think my pick is Woody Marks. I think we'll get down low, and then Woody will punch one in from close. I think Woody's going to have a big year. I really, really do. But I think Jaden Wiley. Will Rogers and Jaden Wiley, that's probably my my second pick, is Will finding Jaden. Will has a great rapport with Jaden. You can tell sometimes he really looks for him because Jaden Wiley has a ridiculous catch radius, absolutely ridiculous, and uh, a penchant for the big play, too. But I think what'll happen is we'll get a big play and we'll get inside the 10 and we'll give it to Woody and Woody punches it in. That That's my pick. Uh, but, yeah, I'd love to be able to see Tulu light the crowd on fire. And uh, how much fun would that be? I'm so excited for football, man. And media days are here. And, listen, we got some baseball portal stores to navigate through. But, listen, to, you know, it's, it's football time, right? It's football time. And, and not to mention the portal stuff's down there's kind of a handful of names for a couple spots. But – sec media days are here it's time to get hype kids it is and i am hype and i know you guys are as well that's an important part of this listen we need you to turn out and support the team home and away this year as often as you can and uh, i i can tell you this some of my favorite memories as a father is looking back and taking my kids to games and in the beginning it mainly was just me and ani ani and, and uh, my friend ernie turner and his son nick we we had season tickets together And uh, we went for years and years and years, and and every year we said, hey, we want to knock off a road location this year. We want to go to one road game a year. And we did. We went to LSU, went to Auburn, of course we went to Alabama. And uh, those were fun moments, not just because I was excited to go, but to see the joy and the excitement of my son. And eventually it became Aunty and Audrey, and then Aunty, Audrey, and Mia, then the all, everybody. And uh, I've taken them to Arkansas, I've taken them to bowl games. I remember we, uh, a couple years ago, we played at the St. Petersburg Bowl. We all left on Christmas Day. And my poor wife, you know, she's uh, she's here, you know, and uh, had to work, couldn't go with us, but uh, she made an incredible Christmas dinner for us that we ate about 10 in the morning. And then we drove all the way to St. Petersburg, Florida. We got a few hours sleep, and went and go cover that ball game. And we, thankfully we won and then the drive home and uh, we were all pretty irritable by the time we were we got to around uh, Prattville, coming back. But I look back and I'm glad we took the trip and I'm glad I was able to bring everybody with us. And uh, the girls got on a jumbotron. I still have that, com- that picture on my computer, my desktop. Those are memories that I'll cherish the rest of my life. And so it's not just about supporting the Bulldogs, even though that's a big part of it. It's about making memories with our kids. And I, I never regret packing the car. It's so aggravating sometimes. You know how it is. Like, like right now, I'm getting anxious, knowing that I got to get out of here and go pack a bag and and um, and get on the road and uh, get to Nashville and spend a couple of days with my wife in one of my favorite cities. And so, I'm because you never want to forget anything, but you don't remember that aspect of it, right? You don't remember, oh, we forgot this. What you remember is the fact that hey, I made time out of my busy schedule and made my kids and my wife a priority. And I want to encourage you to do that. No matter who is significant to you in your life, go and make those memories with your kids at Mississippi State sporting events. Uh, My dad's last game in person was the main game. And what a terrible one to go out on, right? But I was there and had a chance to visit with him. And um, the outcome of the game wasn't what I wanted. But it meant meant a lot to me to see my dad there at the game. It did. Because I knew how much he loved Mississippi State. I knew how much... Uh, he enjoyed Davis Wade Stadium and being back on campus. As like many of your dads, he called it God's country. And uh, so those memories sustain you in life as an adult. And and the thing I remember wasn't too long ago, you know, you know Ani and his wife get out and they go with their daughter and they're always going and doing stuff. And he made a comment one day about that sort of thing to me, about how much it meant to him that... We made such an effort to go have fun together, you know, whether it be a concert or whether it be a ball game or whatever, that nothing was ever too big a deal and nothing was ever too much trouble. You know, he and I drove to Minneapolis, Minnesota one time so he could go fight in uh, a national taekwondo tournament that he qualified for. I mean, those are you know those things. It's not just about you seeing them; it's about them seeing you and seeing you make the commitment. And there's a reason Ani played college baseball, and it wasn't just natural talent. It's because of the fact that I think we taught him that, hey, the world's a big place, and you've got opportunities out there. They're not just limited, you know, to your little natural environment here. You can get out and go do some amazing things in life. And so I encourage you, as always, buy those road tickets, and maybe that's all you can do. You know, maybe it's like, hey, Steve, I'm already buying season tickets. Let's commit to one road game. And Maybe you're not even a season ticket holder you know, like, Steve, it's so tough for me to get away and go. I can make one game a year. Well, how about one year? And I know we want you on campus as much as possible. But maybe if you can only make a game or two, maybe go to Auburn. And maybe if you live in, uh, you know, a foreign land like Texas, you know, we'll meet you at College Station. But it's important that the Bulldogs see you there too. It's not just about you seeing them from an entertainment value. You're a part of this experience. And I can tell you, as a guy that was on the sidelines for many years, what it means to those players to turn to that corner of the end zone and to hear you guys cheering them on—I'll never forget that—that uh, that game at Arkansas when Benique West Brown blocked that field goal in 2015, and how Daronje Wilson immediately ran to that little one tiny sliver of our fans in Razorback Stadium to celebrate with you guys. You guys matter. Don't ever think you don't. You do. Again, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilebook.com and you can get everything there. That again. When the Bottom Falls is there, Stark Villains is there, Flim Flam is there, and, again, six cases of Stark Villains. Again, here we were thinking we only had a handful, and we got six cases. So a lot of you were thinking, well, I just won't have it. Well, now you can get it. And, uh, again, it's been boxed up and waiting for your order. So get that taken care of. And I sign all copies. So anything that's ordered through the website is signed. And uh, when the pre-orders come in for When the Bottom Falls, I'll go down there in Jackson, and we'll spend – A day or two, signing books, and they'll get those things shipped out to you. So I appreciate your support. If you had not done so, go to StarkVillains.com. Pick up some Stark Villains gear while you're uh, in the process of outfitting your family. You're going to need those hoodies. You're going to need those T-shirts. And they're a cool shirt, too. Again, that's StarkVillains.com. I'm going to get out of here and uh, wish you guys the best. And again, reminder, the Wednesday show will be late. I'm just telling you now. And I saw some, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but one of those guys on Twitter is like, well, Steve's always pushing back deadlines. Well, you know, when you own the company, you could do that too. Uh, But the reality of it is, is that I would love to be able to be on schedule with you guys. Sometimes Monday, Wednesday, Friday is about the toughest schedule I can put together. Um, But the reality of all that is, is that uh, between writing a book, raising a family, and having to run this household more times than not by myself... I'm doing the best I can, so I just ask you for a little bit of grace. It's not about laziness. It's just sometimes it's difficult for me to fit everything into a day. Uh, the, the la- over the course of the last week, even though we've had nothing going on, I've worked about 18 hours a day. So not that I feel the need to explain myself, but I don't want there to be any misunderstandings. I'm just kind of sit around all day uh, watching Netflix. There are most days in this house the TV and everything gets turned on because we're working. It's what we do. And speaking of, I'm going to take a couple days off. And uh, head up to Nashville and recreate with the wife and uh, meet with our folks at 247. We will get a little work down there at 247 Headquarters. And uh going to do some video hits and things like that. So I don't know if they'll let me wear the hat or not. We'll see. Uh, but look for that content here in the next few days uh, over at jeanspage.com. And, again, thanks, as always, for your support of everything that I'm involved in. I couldn't do any of this without you. Hope you guys have a great week. We'll look forward to talking to you on Wednesday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and that people can see a difference in the way we live.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.